Deep in the heart of the remote shifting sands of the Gobi Desert lurks one of the most bizarre and elusive creatures ever reported to be seen by man. Known to the Mongolian nomads as Olgoi Korokoi, and known in the West as the Mongolian Deathworm. Many have claimed to have encountered the beast and feel lucky to have escaped with their lives. Efforts to capture the creature have proven difficult, and thus the legend remains fueled by the numerous eyewitness accounts and reported deaths caused by the creature. But could an ancient monster truly be living beneath the sands of the Gobi? Or could some unknown species be the answer? Join us tonight on Into the Portal as we search for a monster, the Mongolian Deathworm. Hello, and welcome back into the portal, your gateway to the bazaar. I'm your host, Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Yeah, welcome back. Yeah. It's uh, thanks to some uh, backlogged research uh, that <laughs> we were able to crush out another episode here yep. for you guys. <laughs> that last one was a bit intense, but you yeah. know, it was, it was fun. I, no, I really it. was super, it. super fun. And I hope other people had fun with it too. Lots of yeah. detail again. And we kind of realized it was it was definitely more of a history lesson, but a with just like a touch of a legend and myth and all that fun I stuff. I mean, it was obviously the legend that drew us in, and then as we started to do it, we realized that it was there's so much detail as as usual with all this stuff, right? Yeah. Like there's rabbit holes to go down everywhere you turn. Oh basically. yeah. <laughs> so this one's gonna be a little bit lighter. Uh, we're, yeah. Well, yeah. We're gonna have fun with it. <laughs> so why don't we introduce ourselves or the topic? Yeah. So I mean, we're dealing with. We're dealing with a real monster here. Mm-hmm. It's it, this is this is beyond like the Ogopogo and stuff like that in terms of being like freaky. So we're dealing with the Mongolian death worm. Yes, death mm. worm. Yeah, not death in the title. Slightly there. ominous. So you'd say you might say. Yeah, I don't think besides that whole uh, bit we did at the intro of Ogopogo, I don't think we actually came across any instances no. of fatalities. No. So this is gonna be. A little, a little bit different. more intense. A little different. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I mean, it's a true cryptid creature, really. There's been so many different expeditions to find it, and it's typical, like, right? The, the indigenous mm. populations report seeing it, experiencing it, having relatives killed by it. Pretty and the reports gnarly. go back hundreds, if not thousands of years, That's correct? the thing. Like, they go back... I mean, yeah, this has been... The, the legend has been passed down through the generations through, you know, southern Gobi nomadic peoples. The thing is, is, like, there's not, there's not much in English. That's like one of the things like all these researchers that we're going to get into in a second, we're going to give the whole timeline for trying to find this thing. But Mm -hmm. because this is Mongolia, the majority of any work done was, was either in Mongolian, obviously, because that's where it's located. And then when it was translated, it'd be translated into Russian. So because because of the Cyrillic language, exactly. Because there was similar language and obviously it was also in the Soviet Union. So a lot of language barrier issues, but what we've managed to kind of scrounge up is definitely quite fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, So basically, yeah, let's start off with the Gobi, I guess. Um, I have some stats here, just basic. So it's kind of, it encompasses an area um, in Mongolia bordering China. 
it is rapidly expanding uh, as the years progress, it, just because of desertification, things yeah. like that. Yeah. It's eating up like thousands of acres of grassland in China every Crazy. year. Which is not very good for them. Not ideal. Uh, yeah. So basically, it's like kind of like an arc. And it's about approximately, this is kilometers, 1 million... 200,095 kilometers squared. Crazy. So, again, that would be close to roughly 500,000 square miles. It's a pretty massive territory. Obviously. And this was an, as of 2007. So, just imagine that this is expanding. So, now we're in 2018. This is a, more than a decade yeah. later. So, it's going to be even bigger than that. It is the fifth largest desert in the world. And it's Asia's second largest. Right. So, yeah, there, there's some basic... So, that is a lot of area to explore. Kind of feeds into the idea that if you're making a short expedition specifically looking for this worm, you're probably not going to find it, but we'll get into that. Yeah, definitely. More so in the expeditions part. Another interesting thing I thought was that much of the Gobi is not actually sandy, but it's bare exposed rock. Yeah. So, yeah. that's interesting. It kind of has... I actually, well, I came across five distinct climates within the Gobi. Right. So there's Lots like desert steppe. There's uh, like, you know, like the, well, it's not mountain. Like there are mountains. There's not forest. But right. anyways, in the semi-desert areas, whatever, scrublands, that type of thing. Totally. Yeah. And, the, and the area that we're dealing with, for the most part, for the for the death worm is in the south Gobi, but this is still a massive swath of territory, mm -hmm. but it's going to be kind of more like that uh, type of landscape that you just said, sort of more of a semi-arid, mm. some kind of like shrubbery and things like that. Yeah. But, uh, so I mean, in the blog, we're going to include a map. Definitely. And just like zero in on the actual area that we're talking definitely. about. Definitely. And obviously... Mm -hmm. uh, oh, and for the YouTube channel. Up on the YouTube channel yeah. too. Yeah, we'll have all the... Uh, yeah, all, all the... Um, images of this thing and there's some crazy ones out there and there's obviously some video clips and stuff like that as well so mm -hmm. we'll make sure we provide all that stuff on the youtube channel and yeah go go check it out the links on the website and and uh, on uh, my instagram and yeah subscribe to us on youtube yeah. but yeah so i mean the 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 gobi pretty gnarly place you came across some weird stuff yeah, like, well, first off, I just want to say, like, obviously, I'm not familiar with the Gobi, and it was funny, we were like, oh, crap, here we are back, we're heading to the desert again, but obviously, <laughs> this isn't, desert. it's a very different type of desert, it's mm -hmm. not, not, you know, I mean, obviously, the Sahara will get very cold at nighttime, too, and things like that, but the, this, the different types of climates and stuff like that, it's definitely different, but some of the most rich dinosaur fossil finds have happened in the Gobi Desert, you know, um, Roy Andrew Chapman is a fellow we were going to get into. He found mm. dinosaur eggs and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, lots of species that are only indigenous to the Gobi. Lots of flora and fauna. So it's definitely like a... There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going mm. on there. One of the weirdest things that I've found when I was just looking into the Gobi, though, was horned skulls that have been found in the Gobi Desert. So I have a quote here. Archaeologists have discovered numerous strange artifacts in the Gobi. Several skulls, undoubtedly human, in quotes, in brackets, were discovered hmm. on the Chinese-Mongolian border in 1995. Um, what made them interesting is that all of them had horns. So either they were artificially embedded into the human skulls through some ancient ritual, or there was an ancestor of ours that obviously had horns. That this... instantly, to my mind, brings up the giant series done by Astonishing Legends not too long ago, yeah. right? Yeah. And th that was my first question, was that, so is this the same example of skulls from the article used by astonishing legends or is this an remember. entirely different i think it might be i think it might be a different one i thought that the one they mentioned was in this in the u.s yeah i thought but okay we should definitely go back and re-listen we should maybe. i mean yeah there's a lot of podcast episodes of different <laughs> people we have to go back and re-listen to for some stuff but uh anyway but yeah super weird right like that just really goes cool. to show so this was like 1995 95 right? yeah hmm. 
And I feel like that's just a cool example of how obviously like ancient civilizations in the Gobi, so just peoples being there. So like the descendants, the nomadic peoples there now are the descendants of these original peoples. So and in the article, sorry, it was several. Did they give an exact number or? No, not okay. in the one I have. And the interesting part about it was they basically said that many months of studying the skulls were necessary in order to determine their origin. But the strange artifacts were scattered somewhere in museum storage. I don't know what museum is being referred to in this <laughs> one article. Classic. I mean, Smithsonian well, a lot of maybe? This, <laughs> well, right. Like so, Smithsonian is so, definitely being guilty of, of that before. And so it just says that the final conclusions were never published because really lost. Really, I don't know. Though? We we didn't dig deep it into that one. It wasn't even that long ago. Like a, 1995. That's two decades ago. It's not that. Yeah, yeah. I guess I that's a long time for something to be lost still. Totally. But anyway, so that's really cool though. So anyways, total side note, right? Yeah. But, that was just to get some context on the Gobi. That's cool. And the fact that there's definitely a lot of ancient paleo lakes, dinosaur yep, finds yep. Uh, that were, well, if there was it's kind be, of part of the colonial We're trying to basically right? set the stage at this cursory glance to say, to suggest that, you know, unlike maybe the Sahara, other places like that, like somewhere like the Gobi with its diversity and stuff, like would be a place where some cryptid creature could exist, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, all these different climates, all this hi- different history and flora and fauna. Paleo lakes, all that jazz. All the right recipe. Indeed. So, okay, let's give some more detail on this creature. So, all right. like, it's it's actually, where's, I, I want to give the, the, it's, you know, like we said in the intro, it's not called the death worm. That's how it's known in the West. That's basically developed through popular culture and stuff it's like that. It's more known as a intestine. Yeah, so the Olgoi Korokoi. Or literally karaoke. translates as intestine yeah right? yeah intestine or or intestine worm i guess possibly but okay. yeah it does translate as intestine and for obvious reasons that that's what it looks like <laughs> so basically these people say you know people that have seen it say it can, it varies in thickness and stuff like that like as thick as a man's arm some say it's a little thicker than that that it's blood red in color. Yeah, because I came across some conflicting, like some people are saying it's like two feet, other people are saying yeah. it's up to a meter, yeah. uh, or a meter and a half even. I've heard up to seven feet. So a meter would be three feet, right? Something like that. Approximately. Yeah, not exactly. So, I mean, that's pretty big. It is. If you're thinking like monsters If you're thinking worm. things that would be hunting something the size of a child or even a full-grown man. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are, they do seem opportunistic. And I wonder, like, we didn't get any stats on whether or not it actually can see. That's if it's, the if thing. It's, if it's an underground dweller, then perhaps you it would... relies on scent and or... heat and, and the um, right vibrations. Sensing vibrations. Yeah, that would make well, sense. Well, I mean, that would make sense. And what does that make you think of in terms of popular culture? Tremors with right, Kevin Bacon. Right. <laughs> and I don't know, there was rumors that like these like death rooms were the inspiration for that, but I think there was it was actually some other stuff. And it yeah. is all sort of connected in inspiration-wise, like mm-hmm. lots of books that include the Mongolian death worm. But anyway, so a few more details on the creature. Basically, this was I mean, we've compiled the best descriptions and kind of paraphrased them into our own exactly here, but like this creature lurks beneath the sands. It only comes up to attack prey. And according to some reports, oh, and only in like June and July, right? Like it's it, it's hibernating. Well, that's all the, the time. one. That's the one. Yeah, I, I did come across that June, July, like summer months. Mm-hmm. But then I also came across a, a reference that suggested that it will surface when it preys, but then also in the rainy season, which I don't think is June, July. Okay. 
Um, because it's... Oh, because... Because then they can feed on other, like, flora, because there was one right. reference that it eats this certain type of flower, is a let part of the legend. And also, okay. it just would be less hot. So that kind of makes sense to me, maybe, if it would surface when it's wet. I think my favorite aspect of this creature is its attack mode. And I and the ambiguity of this, because we get accounts where it says it, it spits ven- venom... Right. Of varying colors and distances. We get other accounts where basically it pops out of the ground and explodes, like its head explodes, and then that causes the venom to like burst Spray out. Spray out all over the... Yes, lethal venom is described basically incapacitating its prey right away. But the most fascinating part that I came across was the idea that it can carry an electric charge. Right. And if you touch it, it's instant death. And so we were kind of thinking like, what? what, what how? How would a creature like that obtain that sort of ability that's like a super super ability yeah I mean, and so maybe we, we were talking right we were yeah. saying like well it's almost like when you drag your feet on the carpet you get all that static electricity right maybe something similar where it's just you know it's it's in the sand all the time it's traveling burrowing and tunneling all this stuff well if it can travel at the speeds that it would need to to pull off the attacks right. that are described then you'd it's think super it would, rapid yeah you'd yeah. think it would be able to Generate some sort of electric charge. Yeah, some sort of static charge. I don't know. <laughs> that would be, be funny. Imagine if you're in the desert and it's almost like, you know, the Bugs Bunny in the cartoons where it's like the big tunnel and you can see the dirt like up above the <laughs> yeah. ground. Can you imagine? <laughs> that's or is like, it sneakier? That's what like some happen. of those scenes from Tremors were like. And you know what? Everyone listening out there, Amber hasn't seen Tremors. Mm-mm. And uh, we were going to rent it like before we watched this and I've seen it. And Darn it. It wasn't as critical for the episode, but no. that is how they travel in Tremors. Like they're underground, but then sometimes they'll, yeah, like the Bugs Bunny pop up and it's their mound is coming at you. It's just yeah. a bunch of dirt. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. We need to get our hands on a copy of that. Eh? <laughs> we should just buy it. Just buy it. Put it, buy it. Add it in the collection, the old Kevin Bacon there. <clears throat> so yeah, Classic. beneath the sand. And what else do we have here for the description? I mean, well, it's basically... It's relatively recent to Western knowledge, right? And we did kind of cover that because of the language barrier, because of the... Co- cultural differences and all that and it's seclusion in this desert yeah so that's kind of you know it, it's yeah it's a fairly new recent phenomena for us but definitely not for these people living yeah so there. it wasn't really until because obviously like there was there was some europeans in there in the in the 20s and stuff like that but then it kind of yeah it, it was harder to get in there so it wasn't again until the 90s that it really picked up again it was sort of just found in literature in between okay but um yeah, so hmm. looks like an intestine. Some have said it looks like a sausage, which <laughs> is kind of yeah. a hilarious and not very intimidating description. Blood sausage. But blood sausage, I suppose. I mean... A grub? An oversized grub? An oversized grub, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the other thing is that... That's what the pictures look like to me. Reminds me of, like, Timon and Pumbaa. Remember that scene in the, the Lion King when they bust open the log and they're just, like, gulping down all these different delicious totally. insects? And you're yeah. like... I wish I could eat those. And you're like five, and then you grow up, and you're like, and you're "Oh, like, that's yeah, so no, gross." No, no <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, you know yeah. what? The, you know what was real? Like the thing about this legend to me, though, because it is obviously like we're taking kind of a more lighthearted approach to it. But mm-hmm. the thing about it that makes it feel real to me, and it's the same with a lot of these sort of cryptid creature stories, is just the sheer number of sightings, and then the way in which that the indigenous populations kind of like speak of it mm-hmm. so there's some people that say like oh they kind of brush it off like i've never i've never seen it myself i've heard of it but whatever like i don't really think about it but then there's other people that are more remote that some of these researchers i've talked to we'll mention them in a sec but that mm-hmm. these people don't really like talking about it 
And we came across that in the Ogopoku episode where, like, indigenous people sometimes, like, they don't want to talk about, like, Skinwalker. Mm-hmm. Or they don't want to talk about things that are, like... More nefarious. Dangerous and, or more nefarious. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. sort of the same thing with the death worm. I don't think it's, like, a myth... Like, a mythical thing like they believe but it doesn't it's real. hold any place in like their own ethos or mythology where it's like no. a deity no. or some no. sort of thing to be revered in a no. sense it's something to be feared yeah okay as, as, as that's a, a huge thing. that's a significant difference between this and the oak Pogo for me definitely yeah yeah because they're both they, serpentine they're both legendary but very yeah. different natures yeah so like this one uh i mean yeah man these cities these places in mongolia are hard to pronounce Daland, Dalanzagd, Dalanzagad. <laughs> My God, that's just brutal. Yeah, Dalanzagad. And Zagad. yeah, that's where this quote came from. Um, some people, some of the local peoples there said that the, that the death worm could be found nearby. And These were is, the people that were climbing up. Yeah, that they, it could be found nearby, but they wouldn't say much else. Hmm. Didn't want to talk about it. I came across some accounts of like locals that would basically give um people like searchers and like researchers the uh the i don't know if they're doing this intentionally or not but it was almost like the roundabout where it's like uh oh yeah like this is a hot spot for the worm go find it there then they get to the neighboring village and then the neighboring village would kind of push them further and further and further right so it's almost as if it's like uh, the pot of gold or like you know the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow like that type of thing like where it's like you're never gonna quite but at the same time, like, if you were a local, wouldn't you want to do that to some of these people, some of these Westerners coming in with their fancy-dancy <laughs> equipment and all their, their book learnings and all this stuff <laughs> and be like, you know what? Yeah, well, I'll just send you on your way. You're not going to find it. Yeah. But anyways. But I'll take, you can you can pay me to tell you where it is. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah, you'd have to spend, if you believe this thing to be real, you would, any of these creatures, like same with Sasquatch and Yeti and anything like that, you know, there's people that spend their entire lives out somewhere and they never see it, like for somebody to just go Well, just like spend, us living in the Okanagan, yeah. we've never seen, well, Never seen the Ogopogo, but we've spent a lot of time on the I've lake. I've seen a lot of anomalous waves. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> So as far as yeah, basically, let's get back. Info, like, let's, yeah, I've got some more detail. We've kind of covered a lot of it. But... I've got some more stuff here. Oh, do yeah. Oh, I do. Okay, well there you go. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, so like yeah, we we've covered most of the sort of details on the worm itself. It can it varies in length, up to seven feet long, quite thick, thick as a man's arm, blood red in color, spits venom. Uh, potentially can conduct electricity and kill its victims that way. Ooh, what about the head, though? The head of it has, like, these weird, gnarly spike-like teeth or something. I don't even know. Yeah. Looks like a big spike ball, almost. Yeah, there's... I mean, do you have a... Do you have a description... that description pulled up, ready to go? Well, I just have the quote from Carl Schucker. Okay. So he basically said uh, that this is one of the world's most sensational creatures, um, and it may be concealed in the sands of the southern Gobi. So this is, um, quote, um, it is said to resemble a large fat worm up to one meter. So that's where we got the one meter yeah. from him. Yeah. Uh, with spike-like projections at both ends. Okay, both ends. Cause, yeah, because I definitely did see some um, convoluted accounts where, yeah, exactly that, where it was like, you can't tell the head end from the tail end because they're basically the same. And then I got um, okay. other accounts where it was basically saying, the head is distinct. Yeah, that's what I saw too. Yeah. I mean, there, so like just to corroborate a little bit from that, like the National Geographic uh, article, I don't know if I can even call it that. It's like a brief kind of a fact sheet on the death worm because I think it was 2005. National Geographic, sorry? Is that what you said? National Geographic, cool. yeah. They did like a 
part in a series where they go looking for it, and that'll Wasn't be Wasn't that like the two-minute video thing? That... Yeah, it was It was very brief. They set up some camera yeah. traps and things like that. But they, they basically, in terms of the fact sheet, talk about it as resembling a giant earthworm. Okay. So that, that's the same as multiple sources we've, we've had. So there's no legs, definitely no legs that we've yeah. seen on this Something thing. Definitely not like a centipede or something no, like that. No, I mean, if you're going to mistake it for something, it, like a snake or, some, or a legless lizard or something like that doesn't have legs. Yeah. But the National Geographic is the one that said has a very distinguishable head. Okay. And then I just made a little note underneath here saying, or tail, which mm. is it? Which, what's the, which, it has a distinct end, but that doesn't mean you know if it's the tail or the head. I mean, we, there's yeah. pincers or claws for burrowing beneath the sand. So could, yeah, what, what the heck is this thing? And, and there was some accounts that were even saying, going so far as to say it had wings. And that, like, like <laughs> small, like, um... That like would, what would you even describe that as? Oh, okay, like, yeah, yeah. Like, like the flaps coming out. Oh I almost gosh. feel like that would be part of like, you know, like a raptor attack. Like, you know, things like, you know, we oh, we, we were, were talking about this earlier, earlier yeah. yeah. Like from Jurassic. I can't remember what those things are the, called. The scene with Newman and then he gets spat in the face and yep. as he's trying to escape with the, the Right. What is it? The egg? What does he have? The, oh no, it's dinosaur the, DNA. Or yeah, yeah, he has like the tube of DNA or yeah. whatever. Oh Newman. <laughs> You knew it wasn't going to end well for him. No, he was in there too. But definitely that reminded me of that. Because it's not as if there's accounts of it flying through the air. No. So So this is possibly like an evolutionary thing is what you're suggesting. Exactly. Part of its attack, part of its sort of um, way of uh, intimidation, like that type of thing. Possibly a way of uh, adding to its propulsion through the sand. If it's not just Mm. wiggling through the sand, maybe sort of if it has something coming out the side. You think that'd be like a hindrance though, maybe. I wonder. I don't know. I wonder. Anyway. So yeah, super weird looking though, like lots of different descriptions, but some, but, but too many similarities for it to be made up in terms of the descriptions, Yeah, you know, and there's, like we said at the beginning, there's hundreds of sightings. Yeah. Now ancient origins, not a peer reviewed source, but it's a fun website. And I did find some stuff on there too. Mm -hmm. And they also said that has a single spiky pointed end. With the ability to spray deadly, they refer to it as acid. I guess that's how it's described in a like lot. A like yellow... It's a venom, but it burns. Like, it's corrosive. It's And I guess most venoms would be, like, on top of a skin, and even it's if it's not injected. instantly... Instant death. Renders, yeah, renders its prey... Uh... Instant death. And I couldn't... Some It was sort of vague in some of these sources whether or not the instant death was from the venom itself or from the electric charge running through the liquid... Because presumably mm. that's how it electrocutes, right? It shoots out this venom, okay. which is a liquid, and then it has a charge that it can conduct through that shot. Interesting. So it can actually kill from a distance by electricity, supposedly. That's so weird. Which is crazy. They would crazy. have to have some sort of thermal conductivity They'd properties, to... right? Like the skin would have to... Well, we know, I mean... I if mean... this is... If you believe any of this. But it's like, it's not even, I mean, obviously electric eels are a real thing. Yeah, they're submerged in water, but it's True. like, that that's a real thing. There's fish and that you know, can generate light. This whole idea of spitting a substance out that is excessive and deadly and covers its victim is going to be part of my favorite theory that I'm going to save for like one of the last little bits. But anyways, yeah. Okay. We'll get back to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as far as, yeah, so we've covered all the basic descriptors. Yeah. There's the idea that, well, from this is from the nomads. It's part of the legend that basically it lays its eggs in intestines of animals, uh, like camels, its prey, that type of thing. Yeah. It's kind of opportunistic. And the baby, 
the baby uh, death worms feed off of the body of the dead Right, they thing. Like, hatch inside. And exactly, everything. and then basically that's where they get the red color was the idea, perhaps. Right. Mm-hmm. Born and raised in an intestine. <laughs> like a lot of other things in this world. Well, yeah, no, that's, that, that, that does happen a lot. I mean, obviously it's a safe place. So, I mean, as a, as a legend. Thing, I'm trying to imagine, like, what if it's just like an oversized maggot? <laughs> right? Because that's kind of what it looks like. Well, it does sort of look like that. But yeah. of course that wouldn't, well, that's a lot less scary <laughs> to think of it that way. Wouldn't be moving as quickly, I would imagine, if it was just that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyway, I don't know which one of these ones sounds the most likely to me in terms of like the descriptions of how it looks. Like obviously it's the, the commonalities every time are that it's red, blood red, mm-hmm. rough width, like the size of an arm or a, a, a human, a human bicep basically. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the, like the, it can vary, links vary, you know. But it raises its head out of the sand and but it kills stuff. But the links are easily stuff. explainable by age, right? Because like the specimen uh, itself, like it could be youthful. So I never even thought of not that. Not fully grown. Yeah. I never even thought of it like that, and that's really stupid because that makes total sense. <laughs> Biology, man. <laughs> it's like, no, that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. So there. You I go. think that even in and of itself, sort of might corroborate eyewitness accounts. If people are seeing varying lengths, it doesn't necessarily mean it's because they're making it and, up. And maybe if it's smaller, again, it's it's younger, and maybe it doesn't know as well as older, bigger ones to kind of keep to the underground. Right. So maybe that's why it was spotted. I don't know. Could be. That is definitely. Yeah. Look at this though. I have this other note here too. Like it can kill in so many ways. Like mm-hmm. you camels can die just from walking over a dead worm concealed beneath the sand so if a worm had died and it was beneath the sand it would be oozing this substance i guess and just like something can die just from walking over top of it right like i I guess you have to come in contact with it so this is where it'd be like geology so some (laughs) nomads would constantly in certain areas be poking holes in the sand with rods to just be safe wow interesting that's and of course you're using how would you ever feel safe so so researchers in the future would go on to do the same practice but with iron rods attempting to conduct a charge from one of these worms mm-hmm. interesting huh. that's so weird that's super weird can you imagine looking for one of these things or walking around in the gobi desert like of all the cryptid creatures to like if you're looking for loch ness or if you're, loch ness monster you're looking for even looking for Sasquatch or something like that, you know the experiences with both those creatures have not been fatal. You know what I mean? And then it's like yeah. you're looking for a cryptic creature where it's nothing but descriptions of this thing is going to spit corrosive acid in your face. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that reminds me of uh, of the... Oh my gosh, there was that legend of the tomb of... Oh my god, whose tomb was it? And basically the story goes, like you descend into Osiris's underworld and this um, chamber is... Basically, it's guarded by a sphinx or something, a snake of some sort, and it, it automatically spits venom into your right. face as soon right. as you try to retrieve the gem or the treasure or whatever. Right. Anyways, that's a side note. Just got deserts and all that stuff in the we brain. Like, I don't, are we just like subconsciously obsessed with deserts? I wouldn't, must I never considered myself. I mean, we sort be. of live in a desert in the Okanagan too. It's yeah. semi-arid. We got cacti. We have a you subtle gotta... preoccupation with desert <laughs> and desertification. Oh desertification. Of the whole world. Anyways. So basically, we're moving into 
expedition territory here. The search for the So this thing is insane. Mm -hmm. It's obviously caught the attention of so many people. Mm -hmm. You weren't able to go check it out because of the Soviet control of Mongolia and also just North China was obviously off limits as well. Yeah. But before that sort of shutdown, we did have some expeditions, not specifically to look for the death worm, but in relation to it. So this was the Roy Chapman Andrews. Okay. So this was like, he, he existed in sort of the early 1900s and he was the leader of the American Museum of Natural History Asiatic Expeditions Division. Interesting. So So this guy's interesting. Hey, like, let's just say right now, he's a, he's an interesting, fascinating guy. And Honestly, yeah, like he, a lot of people credit him with being the inspiration for Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, I forgot about that reference. And right? you know what was so funny about that too? You you told me that just, just earlier, like yesterday mm-hmm. or whatever. Potentially, like yeah, the, the origin of that. And we had also just watched... King Solomon's <gasps> Mines, the yes. movie, um, and where that, that was supposedly an inspiration for Indiana Jones. Exactly. So Indiana Jones connection here. And we are going to be featuring a book called Dragon Hunter, and this is all about Roy Chapman Andrews and his Central Asiatic expeditions. It's by a guy named Charles Gallenkamp. Um, super fascinating. It's only 30 bucks too, so it's an nice. affordable read. Yeah. I have some cool info on, <laughs> on this Andrews fellow. So apparently his first journey into East Asia was in 1909 when he was 25 years old. He spent... Okay, this is crazy. I'm just going to list these off here. Go for it. So he spent two weeks of his travels stranded on a deserted island. And in this time, he fended off sharks after his boat, which was capsized by a finback whale. He survived typhoons, heat stroke, poison bamboo stakes, headhunters, and 20-foot pythons. And apparently he shared Indy's loathing of snakes. Let's just say that. And uh, he actually, he did have a rudimentary knowledge of medicine, and he ended up delivering two babies, he pulled several teeth, and he actually amputated a man's mangled hand. Oh. Yeah. Man. He, he did a lot. Like, pretty people, insane. People were a little hardier back in the day. Yeah. Hey? Like, I have a cold now, and I can barely drag my ass down to 7-Eleven to get any meds. <laughs> this New York Times article describes him as capable of talking his way into or out of any situation. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah pretty cool we'll, we'll include this in our uh, show notes too or resources Definitely. page it's a very fascinating article but anyway, yeah. i just wanted to give a little backstory on this guy yeah and he was obviously and he even had the hat he had the indie <laughs> that's hat. where the indie hat came came from must yep. have been yeah <laughs> so anyways so yeah he he did ton of work actually like even just from one i don't know if it was his very first expedition but it was one of the his earliest expeditions in the mm-hmm. in the gobi where there was over 50 scientific papers published between him and his crew just from that single expedition. So they're doing mm. a ton of work, mm-hmm. a ton of work. Mm-hmm. And it's dealing with dinosaur fossils, um, eggs, eggs mm. um, also just dealing with uh, like looking at the flora and fauna in the area and looking at the evolution of them, stuff like that. You know, he was, uh, yeah, he, he, he really loved the desert. He loved the Gobi and he spent a ton of time there. One of a uh, cool quote from, actually it's not a direct quote, but he references this guy named Fairfield Osborne. In one of his earlier works, this is Chapman, and um, basically just uh, makes a mention of how this Osborne guy in 1900 was working in the Gobi before uh, Andrews, Chapman Andrews, Mm -hmm. and that he posited that the earliest reptilian life in the world originated on the Central Asian Plateau and some of these areas in the Gobi. Cool. So that's kind of cool. If we're thinking uh, later on in the theories category of some sort of ancient reptilian creature... That yep. has survived. That is an interesting connection there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, w- w- like, what else do you have on Roy Andrew Chapman? Or uh, Roy Chapman Andrew? Man, so well, many first names. 
<laughs> Pick a lane. I thought it was interesting when he went to the capital, the Mongolian capital of Ulaanbaatar. Right. If I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it was then called Urga at the time. Okay. And they met the premier and the minister of foreign affairs and other notable officials in right. the Mongolian cabinet. And so he he wrote in his book. I can't remember the name of the book now. Shoot. But basically, we'll include it. It will include it in the notes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He said that essentially the premier asked him to capture a specimen of the death worm if possible and that he himself had a, had a, a personal connection. He hadn't seen it himself, but he knew a man who had lived to tell the tale. This was the Mongolian premier. Yes. Very and, cool. and then uh, another cabinet minister, he piped up and said that the cousin of his late wife's sister, which is kind of a weird string, <laughs> um, had also seen it. And I guess survived. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So they so were. Like, this is in the public consciousness. It was almost as if like that was a way for them to not fraternize, but you know, like kind of like form some sort of connection with these people and and to get their blessing in a sense. Yeah. And, and yeah. they even though they never ended up finding a death worm, I yeah I feel like. And it's Andrews, a sort of, he, he definitely took stock in that and he yeah for sure and for like for the for the minister of foreign affairs and the premier to actually be interested and want to find and it's it. legit yeah to them. like come on like they're like government and they're they're asking these outsiders to like you know. i wonder what their reasoning for it would be though like if they believe it to be real obviously they have family members that have seen it or whatever mm-hmm. do you want to know if it exists and catch it for notoriety or do you want to catch it to, to just be able to study it, to be able to, like, protect people from it? Because it's, yeah. like, you'll know it's a danger, or is it to go into the... I feel like it would have been more for the spectacle. It must, I mean, it's 1919. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. But they never actually really expounded on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, though, in the end, with... I mean, there was a... Basically, his work, Roy Chapman Andrews, would go on to inspire a lot of people to keep searching for this worm, because he didn't really... He didn't outright say this doesn't exist after his a lot of his work, and he went on and he did find some some what cryptozoologists would I think misinterpret as evidence mm. in terms of just like you know finding fossil remains of like snake stuff that wasn't exactly clear what species it was or just random stuff like that. There wasn't a ton of info, but in the end, Andrews basically said he just didn't find enough evidence. Yeah, he just didn't find enough evidence. He wasn't completely discounting it, but he was Classic, a man of science. Uh, couldn't exactly, find it. yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing. It's like people will look at that and be like, this guy spent so much of his life in the Gobi Desert. He didn't see it. It can't be real. But what I'm saying is like, I gave you this example the other day. Like we, we live in British Columbia and lots of our families out in the Kootenays. So a place like Rossland, you're going to see lots of bears and cougars and stuff like that. Well, there's people that live out in Rossland that have never seen a cougar. Yeah. Which is, you're, you're going to be surprised at that. They live yeah. there, right? You've lived there or you've seen it once, which is like blows you away. And you know, it's even funny to think that Maybe they could have seen it if they opened up their eyes and looked around, maybe. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I don't know. <laughs> right. The things that we kind of, yeah, close ourselves off to sometimes in our daily life. It's just... But so, obviously he had a lot of intention. He was definitely looking for this. Not like he's like, yeah. oh, I'm just taking a walk here. And Andrews was alive for a while. I think he lived into the 90s and he passed oh. away in the 90s. Oh, I feel like I had a date for him that was like, basically he was born in the 1880s and died in the 1960s or something oh, okay maybe i was thinking of somebody else but he did live quite a long life or in the and 80s he, he was maybe. he was around for a while and he influenced yeah. a lot of people the next the next um reference though we're moving into i mean so this isn't really this isn't coming from a scientist this is coming from a fiction yeah, writer you, you science go, fiction writer go for it um yvonne 
Yefremov. 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 Russian. Yes, so he was a Russian writer. Exactly. Amateur yeah. archaeologist as well, from some sources that I could see, but for the, like he was a writer. Amateur cryptozoologist, right. kind of the yeah the gist I got. But he wrote a book in nineteen. 19- 78 or sorry i got that wrong 87 dyslexia um and so this was a book called the oh no the all turn i don't even tasan <laughs> these tasan, things are so hard to pronounce <laughs> and he wrote a book <laughs> let me try let me try no. tasad kak govd that was weird <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay okay so anyways that's my, that's... he did write a book about the land and legends um found in the gobi and he does include a brief mention of the creature. So, okay. I don't know, this is kind of decontextualized, but this is the quote. He says, another more dangerous animal also lives in the Gobi. So I'm not sure what animal he was referring to in the first bit of that. Yeah. He, it is the uh, Goy Kogorki. Oh my god, I didn't say that right. Anyways, quote, <laughs> it resembles an intestine filled with blood and it travels underground. Its movement can be detected from above via the waves of sand it displaces. End quote. That was in 1967. Dune featured worms. I guess they were just, they were referencing his book. Yeah, I, I guess the, so. Sorry, I was, was just. the source. Yeah, Dune, or I guess Dune would have influenced that book because it came a little, it came a little earlier. But Dune, Dune featured worms the same, like. Dune. So I've never read it. Dune was like a video game too, wasn't it? was it i can't like i'm not a video game guy so like i'm not but i'm pretty sure it was a video game it may have even been a movie but it started as a book 1967 and it featured death worms too and then obviously we see it in the i think tremors was in the 80s or was it early 1987, 90s 1987 right okay <laughs> for some reason i thought it was 1887 oh my gosh I was just did you say 1887 no i said 1987 yeah. <laughs> you're <laughs> good you're good just in my head <laughs> just... anyways yeah i mean the point is is that you know, at, at a certain point, this became a big part of the public consciousness, obviously, that this is a Russian writer, so he was a privy to certain information. And it's still, to this day, a lot of extra work done on not just the death worm, but other stuff in the Gobi. It's it's not in English. Mm-hmm. It's not even in other European languages that would be more easily translated to English. It's in Russian. Yeah. And obviously, that's easier to do these days, but it's just not available. And mm-hmm. I think we came across... I think, I mean, even guys like Astonishing Legends have made that clear, right? When you're trying to find information information in russian or when they were doing hoska castle and they're look, re- looking at stuff in czech and then copy pasting it into google translate it's like it doesn't it's, work it's, it's rough. tedious and rough so anybody out there that speaks russian or any other language reach well, out hey, to us about, and uh, uh well we do have a czech friend that speaks you, czech does he speak russian too i don't know actually. yeah can't remember we should reach out to him and ask. anyways <laughs> anyways so yeah that was um that was the reference from from him mm-hmm now we're getting into the real nitty gritty. So, so we're getting to the 90s? Yeah, we're getting into the... Get up with the 90s, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that is a quote from Play the Conquerors. Yeah. <laughs> One of our favorite shows. <laughs> this guy, Ivan Mackerly. Cool. Now, he... He's still alive, right? Yep. He's still kicking. Mm-hmm. He was kind of known for being one of the leading researchers for Loch Ness. Loch Ness Monster. Really? Yeah, apparently he, he like, he's a cryptozoologist. And he, cool. Yeah, so he's got some stuff published out there on looking for Nessie. Uh-huh. And just seems like a super interesting guy. He's, I wonder if he's looked into Ogopogo then. I wonder. Huh. I couldn't find, I didn't see anything on his website. We have his site uh, in the links and specifically directly to the page about the death worm and his time in the Gobi. Does he write in Russian though? Or does he write He's in... a, He's Czech, I believe. Oh, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. he's a, he's a Czech yeah, yeah. cryptozoologist. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. But he, yeah. So, but he's, he's basically been credited as being the foremost investigator of the death worm because yeah. he's the most modern and he's just, he spent a lot of time there. He's done the most translations too of Mongolian yes. into other the Russian and then like well the quote we have here from him is in English so I don't know if he did that or if someone else translated it for no, him. No, his <laughs> entire website is in English so I'm assuming he oh. just has companion site or he's obviously fluent in English as well. Cool. Yeah. Do you want to read that quote? Mm-hmm. Go for it. Okay. So this is in his book Mongolske Zahade. All right. So the creature is quote. A sausage-like worm over half a meter. So in this account, we're getting half a meter. Half a meter long and as thick as a man's arm, resembling the intestine of cattle. Its skin serves as an exoskeleton, molting whenever hurt. Its tail is short, as if it were cut off but not tapered. It is difficult to tell whether its head... Oh, sorry. Difficult to tell its head from its tail because it has no visible eyes, nostrils, or mouth. End quote. So this guy, Mackerel, or Mac, Mac, Mackerel, <laughs> Mackerel. <laughs> Mackerly, <laughs> he never witnessed it himself, but he eventually determined that it could be real. Interesting. Could. Yeah. So, he was a believer. So he did say that they had a plan. <laughs> <laughs> they had a plan. They had a plan. <laughs> they were going to go to the South, they were going to collect reports, and they were going to search for this worm. And... Yeah, he basically describes the early stages as being a game of hide-and-seek. Right. And the people, the young people didn't know much, and then the old people refused to talk about it. So we already kind of mentioned that, but again, yeah, this is his own words. So, again, here, and then this is the whole roundabout thing. It's like, people in Dalansagad said <laughs> it could be found in Kanbogd, but when we arrived in Kanbogd, they sent us back to Dalansagad. Just there kind of go. a roundabout. In yeah. circles. And that just goes to show, it's like people do not know mm-hmm. exactly where some of the, exactly where things are. It's always just super obscure. It's like, oh yeah, go over there. And it was the same thing in the Zerzura episode, right? It's like people yeah. see certain things, like, go over that way. And then you go that way, and it's like, nope, yeah, you go, go over that way, actually. Yeah. Yeah, bizarre. <laughs> so yeah, they did hire some guides, some Mongolian guides. And it, they were fed the same information, the idea that it's dark red, like blood or salami, it's difficult to tell the head from the tail, the nostrils and mouth, because it's not very visible or distinguishable, I guess, and that it moves in odd ways. Either it rolls around or squirms sideways, sweeping its way about. <laughs> sweeping. Bizarre. Sweeping. That's weird. That almost makes me think that, and this again ties into my theory, Ember's <laughs> favorite theory. You gotta save that, though. You gotta save <laughs> I am gonna save it, it but that, that movement makes me think that it's, it's using its tail to move yeah like it's got some, some strength sort of, in that tail and it's i wonder i don't know um so anyways after that guy kind of his expeditions tapered off there was another another zoological journalist yeah that was 2005 i guess he it was a richard freeman from the center for fortean zoology right this there guy. you go this guy yeah, and he mounted an expedition. He was going to hunt for the death worm, and of course, he came up empty-handed. Yeah, you know, I couldn't find, like, a ton of detail on this Freeman. Hmm. Like, for specifically for the death worms. Like, there's stuff out there on him, but... Yeah, yeah I mean, he That's kind of... Quick trip. quick trip. Yeah, no, he... His conclusion was that it was basically apocryphal, so it's it's more of 
it's less real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's more just the, uh, the tall tales. He thought that, it would just, that's where it resides, yeah, is in the legends. That it was a misinterpretation of an existing species, maybe like a, mm-hmm. a legless lizard species or hmm. some type of worm. Or that, that mythical, that Greek mythological. Well, uh, we're going to get into that in just a sec here. <laughs> Jump the gun. But I mean, we're really, yeah, so that's 2005. Like there was kind of pretty a, modern. Hey? There was kind of a gap here, right? Like from what we could find, there was sort of like there was okay. The one the one reference that the one the one thing in the 1950s was there was a big spike in reported mm-hmm. sightings. Mm-hmm. But of course, this information didn't become available to people looking studying in the West until years later. Mm-hmm. But in Mongolia in the 1950s, there was a big, big, big spike in sightings of. Sorry, 1950s? 1950s. So just, I'm just trying, that's so just something to kind of fill in in between here because basically we go from 1919 up into, you know, there, supposedly there was a fiction uh, fiction book written in 1944 that mentions them as well. But that was another Russian book. That was, I thought that was part of um, Ivan, oh my gosh, what's his last name? The, was that the same one? The sci-fi writer, the okay. Czech guy, because like that was the inspiration for... Gotcha. The second. Um, right, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And that was the story, the 1944 short story about the geologists in the desert that essentially get devoured by this thing, which is Just pretty cool. Just gets mowed, yeah. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> and you know what? Okay, we're coming into 2006 here, mm. and I feel like that story influenced a lot of this, these, these supposed videos or <sighs> searches or whatever. They're basically all docudramas, so like mm. 2006, 2007. Define what a docudrama is really briefly here. Well, okay. I'll give you a rendition of... I almost feel like... The film student. I don't here. know exactly what the exact word-for-word definition is, but it's basically, it's a dramatic it's a, reinterpretation yeah. documentary style. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's almost like the more dramatic version of a mockumentary. Kind of reminds me of Cloverfield, except obviously, you know, like that type of, where it's like right. the shaky handheld. Yeah. It's the, it's supposed to look natural. It's like FUBAR, except serious. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's another, that's a Canadian reference, isn't it? That's a Canadian movie, wasn't of it? Of course, of course. It's a great Canadian movie. Great. We should probably hashtag FUBAR when we post this show. Yeah. <laughs> I just, that burp was for you, FUBAR. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> yeah, pass me another Pilsner there. Okay. So their docudrama. So Destination Truth is what this one was called. Right. 2006, 2007. And oh my God, everybody. It oh, was so horrible. bad. Horrible. So bad. But you, I couldn't you have watch, to watch the whole thing. I, I almost don't even want to post it to our channel just because it's so bad. Like maybe we'll just share a link somewhere. Because you guys can go watch it, but I mean, if you listen to our show, if you're a fan of our show, then you'll definitely like watch this and you'll be five seconds in and you're be just going to be shaking laughing. your head. Yeah. Yeah. First, first 10 seconds into it, you're going to be like, It is oh, so okay. cheesy. It's like, it's so cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. Super fake. But some people must believe that it's real. They well, must. Oh, why mean, would they the not video, do it? Not yeah, the, vi- like, the, vi- the video. Yeah. Which is just kind of sad, but it's well, what it is. a lot of people lack a critical lens. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. (laughs) Okay, and then in 2009, New Zealand television entertainment reporter David Ferrier, this guy's done, he's, he, it's just extreme stuff. Like, he's shock value. Sensationalist. Sensationalist. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's not, he's not, he's not an investigative journalist or anything like that working for Al Jazeera or something, you know what I mean? Like, he's just a... Yeah. So, but anyway, he supposedly had an expedition in 2009 and 
reported that he came up with stuff, but basically he did not. What? He, he did not come up with anything. Like he came he came back the first time and was like, "Yeah, I saw it, or I, you know, there was like this." And then he, and then later it's like, "Yeah, no, I I came I came back empty hand empty handed. None of the video, none of the photos or anything." It's like I saw it. Wait, it was just a log. Yeah, just mm. a just a just a stick. Mm. <laughs> so once again, the elusive death worm. Can't be found by a bunch of Westerners going into the desert for 15 minutes with a camera, kicking around some sand, and they plan on seeing it, is how I feel when I read stuff like that. It's like, obviously you're not going to find it. Remember when we were watching the um, Monster Quest for the Jersey Devil? And they they go, they're like, we're going to look for the Jersey Devil. So what do they do? They get like... A hundred guys to basically link arms and yeah. with flashlights and guns. In broad daylight. In broad daylight with reflector vests on. Yeah. And then they had people in the trees, Walking too. through the woods. Yeah. And then they come and back And they were the calling end. out to, like, the people that were... Because they were basically trying to flush it out was the right. idea, right? right? And then the people that were, like, positioned in the trees were supposed to, like capture footage the image or, or whatever whatever yeah and then they were literally so these people are in the trees and then the people on the ground are slowly coming yeah. closer and closer yeah. and the whole time they're like yelling out yelling. to each other it's like, so it's like how much area are and you then they get covering? back to the end and they're like we didn't see it and i'm like yeah you, you think yeah like, <laughs> like is that a surprise yeah like, like <laughs> how is that that was actually there could have been a full-grown male elephant in the woods and you wouldn't have seen it because it would have heard you coming from a mile away and ran away <laughs> Right. It's pretty hilarious. Exactly. So that kind of takes us up to the end of the most recent expeditions to find this thing, hey? Yeah. There hasn't been any since then that we could see. It kind of, the interest in it died off. That's why we're here. We're spiking it back up. There you go. Send people to the Gobi. Yeah. Look for this thing. So what the heck do you think this thing is? We're getting into theories We're going to get into theories. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a promo from... Some fellow Canadians doing yeah. a podcast. We've recently been in contact with them, discovered their show. It's amazing. Uh, basically, yeah, the show name is Double Density. Your hosts, Brian and Angelo, are amazing. Yeah, they're They're great. super well-spoken, they're well-researched, and they cover a wide breadth of topics ranging from tech to the paranormal. So these guys are super legit. And yeah, again, and they're, they're Canadian. They're obviously. a Canadian brethren. So <laughs> let's take a sneak peek into Double Density. From Apple products to Zelda games, and from aliens to zombies, we are Double Density. Tech tales and paranormal primers with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. New episodes every Wednesday. DoubleDensity.net Yeah, so trying to figure out the most likely explanation of what the heck this thing is. I mean, it's got the craziest description of any of the cryptids we've looked into so far, which haven't been many, obviously, to Ogopogo for an episode, but we've read a lot about a bunch of others. Mm-hmm. And we're starting off with the first one here is, could this, th- I mean, it's called the Mongolian death worm. Could it indeed be a worm? A giant worm. A giant worm now the reason that this is the first theory is obviously just because this is what matches up with the descriptions Mm -hmm. so i'll I'll read a story here cool so this is one of the early legends and it's one that ivan mackerley came across as well 
when interviewing people in his uh, journeys in the South Gobi. Hmm. So he said, quote, one story is famous among the nomads that once a young boy, and this was in the town of, that we've said a couple of times that mm. I'm struggling to pronounce. Yeah. He was actually followed home by one of these worms. He was stalked. What? And this was the description from, I guess, somebody in the village. But the quote basically goes, one story is famous among the nomads that once a young boy was followed home by the worm. And near his home, later, his dead body was found. It was believed that he died just from coming into contact with the worm, as no venom was found on Hmm. sight. That the worm had somehow made its way to the village. Looking at the trail and the sand, his family went went into the desert to take revenge and seek the animal. But they did not return. What? His whole family disappeared? Apparently did not return. So that's one of the more well-known legends, and this is sort of a reoccurring thing that it's often people who are either alone or it's younger people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's always people who are super remote, mm. but... And a boy that's a little more vulnerable. Right. That's interesting. So, and, and, that's, and that's like, the, the description is of a worm. And worm. so, like we said earlier too, in a couple, in the National Geographic reference and a few others, that it's like a giant earthworm. It's smooth. It's not smooth. scales. No, exactly. So it's not, in that sense, it's not reptilian. Right. Interesting. And of course, reptilian would imply that it needs water of some sort. Yeah. Yeah, Or that it's cold-blooded. Right. I guess, yeah, reptiles are just, they need a heat source external to their body to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea that it could be a giant worm, like, doesn't carry a ton of weight with most people, but... Were we able to find any, like, examples of actual real-life worms that are known to be in existence? Yes. Okay, cool. So, Are these, like, are these carnivorous worms, or whatever? Yeah, you could say that. The one that kind of, like, stood out to me the most is basically this giant beach worm, giant sand worm, Australonupus terrace is the name of it. And it basically exists in eastern Australia. It's Mm. also known as the king worm. And it's called that for a reason, because it can grow bigger than one meter okay. in length. So size-wise, that's definitely... So, yeah, length-wise, it adds up. Um, width-wise, it is not the width of a man's arm or what or similar description. It's like long, skinny thing. It's much skinnier and will include an image on mm. the in the in the sources, too. These things are disgusting, but apparently they're used for bait. Like, they're not like a dangerous worm. Like commercial fishing bait? I don't know or about like, commercial, but or definitely I guess you could take one and just like hack it up into up. a whole bunch of worms and use them. For... Depending on what size of fish you're trying to get, I guess. Ooh, yeah. If you're going for something big, you might just use half of it or whatever. <laughs> no, but that's what they're used for. They only surface to feed. There's hmm. a similar connection. They spend the rest of their time beneath the sand. They eat mostly meat. They don't attack, but they eat meat. And there's basically this like dead hmm. fish, things on the beach. Um, so they're decomposers. They're decomposers, but I mean, if there's a mango decomposing and a fish, they're going for the fish. Yeah. You know, they're, but so, but there's some similarities there. So could this be some sort of a relative? I mean, this is not the same location, yeah. but if we're talking pre, like if we're talking Pangea here. Yeah. And the, the Gobi Desert is so ancient, right? Like, yeah. they got the Paleolithic evidence of dinosaurs, all this stuff. Yeah. And obviously we see in a place like Australia how isolated all those species are, but there's still connections off off of the continent there, off of the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, that was kind of a cool... I mean, I guess 
similarity. I don't think this thing is a worm, though. Like, that was the only kind of, like, really good example that well, I could since find. since it's called a death worm, you kind of have to go there first, I feel like. You kind of have to. Explore those avenues. I mean, and this thing, I mean, it looks, yeah, it looks similar to almost like the hagfish, which you're going to get into in a bit, I guess. You've got some details on that. But Just stealing my thunder. Oh, I'm not stealing your thunder. We did. Okay, okay. <laughs> Type of snake. So that's another theory. We're moving on to that. So, um, so the idea, yeah, like we kind of mentioned this, like a spitting cobra. Yeah. That does come to mind, definitely. Um, yeah, because this thing spits venom. I mean, that's the easiest thing that comes to mind. But the spitting cobra doesn't but live it, nearby. A spitting cobra, like they do live in desert environments, right? Like the North African Sahara. Yeah. Um... Yeah. yeah, there's the spitting cobra, and then there's, like, the Egyptian cobra, which I guess is a relative, and that's North African Sahara. So different species. Different species. Both cobras. Both, yeah, both cobras, both deadly. Mm. Different climate, though, most of the time. Like the, I'm not buying that it's a snake. The only similarities between the environment of those two snakes and the death worm is the sand. The actual, like, physical sand. Okay. In terms of, like, temperature. And the, the rapidity, rapidity, the rapid movement. Right. Could yeah. perhaps be, but a snake, again, like, what was the description that I read? It was, like, this thing, like, basically flops around on the ground <laughs> and, like, thrashes. It doesn't, like, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't move It doesn't smoothly. seem to have the same uh, muscular, sort of, in, like, features as a yeah. snake. Yeah. The description of an exoskeleton, kind of, Definitely brings to mind different... There's an interesting image of a supposed skeleton of a Mongolian death worm. I'll share that image to the Ooh. links, but it... Does it look like a rib cage kind of? Yeah, it looks yeah, like... Yeah, I think I came like across a, that too. And it looks freaky. Yeah. But it's obviously not real. Yeah. But uh, it would make you think that it's something like a snake. <laughs> so there's another one, the Tartar Sand Boa. So this is a, a, one of the larger members of the genus Eryx. Ur- Ur- I guess Ooh, in snakes. Eryx. That reminds me of like Onyx. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Onyx. That's a Pokemon that kind of looks like a death worm. <laughs> but made De- of it rocks. It doesn't fit anything. No. <laughs> and made of rocks. Made but... of rocks. Well, that's one that we want to cover. We want to cover stone beasts stone and stone beasts. creatures. Things like that. Definitely. Coming at you. An episode near you. <laughs> <laughs> episode soon. <laughs> near in time. Near in time. <laughs> So yeah, the Tartar Sand Boa, some think that that would maybe be some sort of a possibility that it'd be like a relative of that because they don't exist in the Gobi as well, but the females can grow up to four feet. So lengthwise, it kind of matches up a again. A boa? I thought boa. Well, I, I'm thinking Amazonian boas probably. Yeah, where it's, it's much called bigger. the Tartar Sand Boa. I guess it's just a relative of the boa femme. Does it make tartar sauce? <laughs> Does it make, that's where it comes from. Didn't you know? Don't you know? Right. Yeah, that, there you go. That makes sense. But actually, sorry, that these guys are in Central Asia, not specifically necessarily in the regions where death worms have been sighted, but mm-hmm. there's not a ton of information on them and they're, and so that's sort of a similarity to the death worm. I mean, just the area of the world that they're in is not a lot of, uh, but just the fact that they're known and they're not already associated with these descriptions and the mythology and all that makes me think that we're dealing with something a little bit different. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think so too. Mm-hmm. And we kind of stopped there with bringing out snake examples just because we could go on all day with snake examples, but it's like, it, it always comes down to whether or not it's like, okay, like how close are these species of snake to the desert? They don't bury themselves in sand and people are, that are nomads that experience this wilderness all the time are going to know the difference between a snake and a giant worm that sprays venom. Mm-hmm. So I'm counting that out. Yeah. 
It's out of there. Where where are we moving here? Where are we moving on to? We've got a few different. What's the next most likely in your mind? Well, type. I mean, type of lizard. As long as we're on the reptile that, train here. Uh, but again, not very compelling to me. No, you don't think so. Well, apparently, there is a type of legless lizard. Yeah. Uh, it's referred to as worm lizards. Amphisbania. Amphis. Yeah, Amphisbania. Mm-hmm. And so basically, they do resemble earthworms, uh, both in their behavior and their morphology. Okay, so how they develop. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so there, there definitely is a wide distribution, too. So they're found in the old and new world. Uh, although, like, so far, they haven't really been found in Mongolia or in the Far East. So I, hmm. I honestly, yeah, I'm not really buying it. But I guess Iraq is the nearest location. To, right. to the area we're talking about in Mongolia. Okay. Yeah. So there is there is some some parallels. The I, worm-like description is said about both of them, and the tail being similar to the head, so difficult to decide which end is which. That right. Type of that's thing. a similarity. Yeah. And <laughs> you do not sound very compelled. <laughs> I have a hard time with this. Again, like, I like, think I think this has much more weight than so the. Well, snakes. again, I I don't have any information about the actual size of these, which. Well, I I I mean, I pulled up a few pictures. They're not that big. Yeah. Like they're not as big as, what you would like for in order for it to be something that would be roughly the same size, it would have to be like a legless kimono dragon or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it would basically be. Yeah, it would have to be much larger. But there are the similarities, obviously, in the description that it's similar, that it looks like an earthworm. That ties into it. And just the idea that there obviously are lizards that don't have legs. Yeah. I've never heard of a lizard with no legs before. Like, I have, but I'd never actually looked into it before. And That's news to me. If there's going to be something that actually, that's a real creature that we know of, perhaps the Mongolian deathworm is some sort of a spinoff of a legless lizard. Like, it's an unknown species of something. Mm-hmm. The only things that don't match up with that are the fact that it can kill you on contact. <laughs> like yeah. These things are not hunters. They're not coming out of the sand to, to, to pull down a camel, these legless lizards. So mm-hmm. in terms of it being connected to that, that's a big leap to go from a benign legless lizard to a relative that jumps out of the sand and <laughs> sprays you with venom. That's much more like the spinning cobra. But yeah, there's yeah. not as much of a connection there. No. So well, what if two of these got together? One of the spitting cobras and <laughs> one of the geckos and or <laughs> lizards or whatever. The gecko. Go- you said gecko because the next one is gobaco. Well, yeah. A gecko. <laughs> That's an extinct guy. Though. That's an yeah. So it's just an extinct genus of gecko, gecko-like lizards from the late Cretaceous period that existed in the Gobi Desert. Mm-hmm. Now, geckos are small. That's the thing about that. I mean, I, I, we included it because it's an ancient lizard. This ties back into the reference from Roy Chapman Andrews earlier on where he talks about that guy. What was his name? He was there in the 1900s and he suggested that some of the that reptiles, they started on the Central Asian Plateau. Mm-hmm. So if there was going to be some sort of an ancient lizard or a spinoff of, you know, one of these extinct Gobico geckos or something like that, it would be in the Gobi. Gobico and the Gobi. I but like that. That was a good ring to it. Gobico and the Gobi. <laughs> we're going to the Gobi. Let's open and a bed and breakfast in Mongolia. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of things that are 
perhaps maybe not size-wise. The next sort of theory is the giant fluke theory. Ooh. And as soon as I saw this, I was thinking X-Files. You know, they do that one episode in the first season. That is my favorite episode of X-Files. so good. My absolute hands-down favorite episode of X-Files. But basically, this giant fluke theory... (laughs) They say giant... They mean four to ten centimeters. <laughs> this is not. This is something that literally lives in the livers of other animals. So again, very, very far fetched that this thing would actually, uh, you know. Yeah, that that's a similarity, like living in an intestine, born in an intestine, or something like that. But otherwise, mm. not much. And so basically, yeah, I have a few, few quick little whatevers, like the, the head. So it has an oral and ventral sucker, so that's kind of how it feeds, and it does nest, obviously, in, it's a parasite, so it nests in other animals, they grow and live and die in other animals, and specifically in their livers, and that kind of, to me, brought similarities to to the worm, the giant death worm, just because they are said to feed on blood and, yeah. and uh, other decaying or dying animals, right. that type of thing. So I just wanted to mention that. It's like, yeah. what if? What if? This is the thing about that. It makes me think about the same as like the worm theory. Like, is it actually like a worm by definition? Is that yeah. worms can't survive in that type of sand. And then exactly and that. A like a, 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 a parasite can't survive without a host. Right. So. so unless you're moving from camel to camel real fast and you're some sort of an adapted parasite that can exist without a host for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. That we're, we're that's X Files territory it for is, sure, right is. there. I mean, that's a stretch. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we have actually made that comment about the worms too. Like, yeah, like physically, like an earthworm, you are not going to find them in the sand. Like you, you, you might find them in sand, but that's not going to be their natural habitat. You go mm-hmm. to the desert, you're not going to find earthworms. They're just going to so, fry up. Yeah. So fizzle out. Physiology wise, doesn't it do, really. doesn't jive. The lizard aspect is much more likely in terms of it, like adaptability and being able to live in the sand. And there's obviously a lot of Mm-hmm. Lizards that live in the Gobi, live in the Sahara, live in places like that. So I guess that kind of wraps the oh. that up the oh. the the fluke idea. Yeah. Uh, my favorite theory. I'm gonna just touch on now. It's kind of saving the my favorite for last oh, as yeah. usual. Okay. But my idea is that the death worm is actually an adaptation of the hagfish, which is a primordial bottom dweller known to prey on small worms and other invertebrates, and they are opportunists. So they eat dead or dying fish, etc. And my favorite part about them is that they're slimers. They love to slime everything. So that's their defense. And they essentially, once something drops to the bottom of the ocean, they snatch it up. And anything else that tries to feed on it, they slime them. And they just cover them in this shit. Slime them. Oh, yeah, they cover them in this slime that is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's basically suffocating. Uh, it's like, it's basically like a huge phlegm ball that just you get wrapped up in and the way because they actually get all wrapped up in this themselves and the way that they release themselves from it is they tie themselves in a knot and then they it's almost like a slip knot where they slip themselves through a knot and then they what it's almost like it yeah it just like sheds all the stuff as they're sliding through their own knot oh, that's so anyways gnarly. let's get into some uh you're obsessed with this hagfish though a little bit we mentioned this in the ogopogo did. didn't we Briefly, briefly, yeah. Briefly. And so it's, it's it's a Pacific dweller. It's uh, eastern side of the Pacific Ocean from Canada to Mexico. Inhabits fine silt and clay bottoms on continental shelves. So again, it likes that sandy sort of environment. Ah. So in my mind, 
if the Gobi Desert obviously once upon a time it was a primordial lake and there was a lot of other species, imagine if some sort of offshoot of this hagfish developed into, the into sand. a sand dweller, into a, uh, yeah, well, we came from the sea and now we're on land, so why can't this guy do the same thing? And presumably that would have happened relatively slowly, yeah. like, because obviously uh, species that existed that were aquatic, like, lasted through kind of harsh periods where other animals wouldn't have made it right yeah. so if this yeah this thing is slowly super receding then it would th- exactly that's it people thought it, it was extinct yeah it's right up there with the coelacanth yes and things like that that's another that's a reason why that's a good example for sure yeah i mean it, people thought it was gone and it's not yeah and so just a few other stats on this is the idea it has a very similar shape of body it's a long eel-like body with no appendages even though it's not actually related to eels but it does look like that when you see them in their natural environment they have a maximum body length of about 25 inches so that's about 63 centimeters so So how many feet is that (laughs) don't Don't make me do math i know no but it's not as long as but again it does have a similar color it can range from dark brown to gray to red um, with okay. hints of like purpley red, kind of a thing. Interesting. So yeah. Well, yeah. The one, the few pictures that I pulled up, it was looking really purple. Yeah. And again, no red. fins. There is a dorsal, like a fin fold type thing. There's no exoskeleton. It has okay. It has a uh, a skull and a jaw, but it doesn't have a spine, which is weird. Interesting. It's so old. Very interesting. That's just bizarre. Never, and it just uses its tail. It just flips it around, which is well, like well, that maybe is a similar feature to the descriptions you mentioned earlier, with there being some sort of an almost like wings, quote unquote, but like some sort of just extra yeah, something going extra on. Extra flaps. Mm-hmm. Extra flaps. You can never have too many flaps, right? No, I guess not. So, yeah. This is so funny. This is actually just a quote from Wikipedia, because I love Wikipedia. Anyways, great reference. Yeah, we got Um, a lot from Wikipedia, for sure. Yeah, so it it basically says when they're disturbed, they ooze proteins from slime glands in the skin (laughs) that respond to water by becoming um, a slimy outer coating, and then it expands into this huge mass of slime. And so, oh my God. so it protects it from predators and then it clogs the gills and other things of predatory fish and guys that are trying to get in on its, uh, on its meal and it'll enter it. Yeah. It, it will take dead fish and eat them. And also take fish that aren't quite dead. They're still dying and basically just weasel their way through their mouth or through their other end. And, uh, <laughs> and just basically eat all the flesh from the inside See, out. This is a real life monster. Yes. And I mean, it's just surviving. I don't mean monster in terms of like it's, but it is though. When you describe it like that, that's how it exists and survives. Yeah. That's a real life monster. You take the hagfish and how it lives. And then we know of a spitting cobra that spits venom. It's to blind. It doesn't kill on contact like the death worm. But you know, you got characteristics from one character, characteristics from another of two mm-hmm. things that we know exist yeah. and put them together. And you got, you got yourself a death worm there. Not that they would make, but you know what I'm saying? I don't mean like. That's not what I mean. I don't mean that they're mating and making a yeah. death room, but I'm just saying like features from two only two things that we know are real, mm-hmm. and you basically have the description of a death room. Yeah. So that's kind of my favorite, my favorite theory. They're that's both fun. That's they a fun both one. have so many yeah remarkably similar appearance to the death room, same shape, same like similar color. They're both invertebrates. They both have these disgusting mouths that are all spiky and filled with like rows and rows of teeth right. that they use to tear at their prey. They have teeth. Hagfish? Those things, man. Yes. This is like. The, Are you kidding me? Honestly, this is okay, like the where? Stuff in my okay, fingers. okay. 
I mean, do you have details on how deep these things are and stuff? Like, yeah. I don't even, I'm afraid of oceans, like, already. Yeah, so and they're 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 quite far down. They're between 16 to 966 meters below Oh, okay, so I'm usually swimming surface. at, like, 868 meters, so I should be fine. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> you're good. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it is creepy as hell. And Bizarre. Yeah, they're both ugly, terrifying, uh, and they're both opportunists slash, like, omnivores. They'll kind of, well... I wouldn't say that the death worm is an omnivore, but again, they're both eating flesh. Well, there's yeah, they're, you, they're carnivorous. Uh, they're, Actually, no, because well, we yeah, did get the, yeah, the, the account, account of the the flower. Yeah, right. So it yeah. is yeah. Omnivorous. And we made that. Did we 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 mentioned how that's possibly how it derives its venom, right? I think we mentioned that. Yeah, we yeah. did briefly. Yeah, and that's not that that's unsubstantiated. Like basically, the actual flower itself is not. It's not super to- toxic. It's not fatal. No, like if you ate it, you'd get sick, but it's not fatal. So the idea would be it would have to combine with its internal biology to make it into a, some sort of a venom. So it has an enzyme or something. It combines with this plant. Yeah. We know that to be true of many different things, right? It combines with something else. and then mm. you get, So, yeah, interesting connection. So that kind of wraps up my idea on the well, hagfish. I love that theory. Isn't that Just cool? because it's like, I mean, we'd have to really And it has look- a very, like the skin too. And I've even read accounts where... The skin, because it's so smooth, it doesn't have any scales, not like a fish. Right. Which kind of reminds me, of, again, of, of the death worm. Yeah. And apparently it's used in um, Eastern, like, this is Asian um, leather markets, and they they sell it. They sell, like, bags, purses, um, like, belts, <gasps> other accessories, and they call it um, eel skin. And it's, it's hag It's, it's a hagfish. Yikes. Imagine all the ladies out there that are wearing some hagfish, and they think it's... <laughs> Even though Neil really isn't that much better, oh but whatever. Gross. Oh dear. Gross. Not, yeah. Mm. Well, I'm on to, I wouldn't say that this is my main theory, but I wanted to finish off with this just because it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this could be a potential connection to an ancient legend. Mm. I couldn't find the crossover directly to Mongolian nomad mythology. And I'm going to be totally honest with you, there's a lot of literature on that, and I we didn't go super, super deep specifically into that just because there was enough of the actual expeditions and things like that to look into for this, for yeah. this, uh, for this topic. But I did come across this ancient mythological serpent known as the Aphisbaina. Hmm. Aphisbaina? I think that's how it's pronounced. Basically, it is this, it's a Greek mythological creature. Cool. But it, so we're jumping cultures here. We're jumping it? cultures, but it extended through into, you know, like North Hellenistic Greece, so like North Africa for sure. So this was said to have existed in the Saharan desert and beyond, mm-hmm. whatever that means. But according to Greek mythology, it was spawned from the blood that dripped from one of Medusa's heads. <laughs> and it, it, and it resides in the Libyan heads? desert. So... It basically that there's descriptions that soldiers had in, had encountered this serpent along their march through the Sahara. What? So what soldiers? Like Greek Greek, Greek oh, soldiers. Okay. And that and that this monster fed off the corpses left behind from battles as they were taking Egypt. So pretty that's, cool. That's pretty basically, interesting. Basically, it's described as a venomous, dual-headed, snake-like creature. Dual-headed. However, later drawings in medieval Medieval Greece would depict it as having two or more feet, sometimes being scaled, sometimes having chicken feet, sometimes being feathered. 
<laughs> so they, they, the so like the, dual headed like there's two distinct heads. It's yes. not like there's a there's an end with yes. a head and then there's another end with another head and it's like you know like right. where we were trying to decide oh is it the tail or is exactly it the head? okay so th- but that but that to me was a connection because it's like for some of those descriptions of the death worm it's got spikes at both ends which ends, ends the tail which ends the head it might not be exactly the same but the dual headed nature of this serpent like thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you might not be seeing a head head, but it's something on each end. You can't distinguish which is which. Interesting. I don't know. I feel like that's sort of a connection there. And just the fact that this thing lives in the desert. Yeah. Could that's the most some, compelling part Could there to be me. some, mm-hmm. like, basically, th- this could be a similar legend to what may have trickled over and further north. You know, could this be a similar, a similar ancient creature that just got kind of like a mythological spin onto it? Because everything was a dragon back then. Everything was, you know something yeah 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 I, I it wasn't given that, yeah. like it wasn't given like it's a worm it's a it's a <laughs> worm right it's a it's a monster you know yeah no, no even like a giant squid it wouldn't be described as oh we got attacked by a giant jellyfish or a giant squid like creature it's like no you got attacked by a monster of of whatever proportions that you describe however you're going to describe it you know what i mean yeah exactly so but this and, was and of course those people like they would want to almost like amp it up a few notches probably obviously like, you know, like. obviously of course <laughs> just to make it a story worth telling yeah <laughs> and then there was a guy th white we're gonna feature this book i don't know if you mentioned it already the uh, no, book of beasts mm-hmm. by th white cool um we'll feature that but he basically talks about the origins of this monster in the desert and how it could have derived its origin from sightings of none other than worm lizards mm. so there's a connection to the possibility of there being a a relative of a worm lizard that is in fact a Mongolian death worm. That's my connection there to that. I we're we're drawing <laughs> we're drawing black lines here, right? Between all these things. Mind exploded. And um, <laughs> And we're not really we're not we're, we're just not having fun finalize with it. anything we're that's having for sure. Fun we're with just it. yeah. You know, these are all it's all speculation. We just want to have fun with this, but Yes. You know, these are these are connections, cultural connections anyway. Mhm. And I just thought that was a really fun legend of, uh, and I'd never heard of it before. That's cool. I love how we tied it into, again, like the Libyan desert. and We managed to somehow still tie it into oh, the Saharan nice. desert. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, though, if I was to pick like a real, like, I would love for it to be an ancient creature hiding in the sand. Yeah. Ultimately, I do believe in the eyewitness accounts. And I do, I think that the most likely explanation is that it is just some sort of unknown species of legless lizard and that this species has has adapted to possibly be venomous or that that's just a total exaggeration and that maybe they spit like a cobra but that's just to blind or distract prey it's not to actually spit and kill directly Mm -hmm. from it so that's my that's my take oh is it well my take would definitely be along the same lines i do gravitate more towards my theory of the 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 hagfish or the you know, like the variation of a hagfish that's evolved in, sure. in such a, you know, a remote area over thousands and thousands yeah. of years. Yeah. And yeah, I always go back to the idea of the slime. The slime. <laughs> the copious amounts of slime. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I honestly, I just had a lot of fun looking into this. This was one of our least serious topics, which is good. We def- we want to mix it up. We don't want it to be a history lesson for you guys every time. No, right? we want to, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's gotta be just gotta spice it up a yeah, little we bit yeah we wanted to we thought death worms would spice it up a little bit for sure mm-hmm. 
So that's basically it. Eh? Yeah, that pretty much wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening to what I cannot believe is already episode five right? of Into the Portal. It's insane. They say that seven episodes is the threshold for podcasts. So, so we're well on our way to not, and we have <laughs> we have got a game plan. Like you should see our whiteboards here. Like they are covered in ideas. And again, if you have any ideas of your own, please yeah. send them to us because yeah, we're if... open to anything. We want to cover stuff that you guys haven't heard about a lot yeah. in other forums and totally. places. So. Again. Yeah, if you've got an idea, reach out to us. Um, our, our Gmail is into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. So you can email us. We also have a new Facebook group, so you can join the group. Yeah, so it's we can at have into discussions. The, yeah, so it's at Into the Portal Podcast on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You can reach the link from uh, into the portal.com. Yeah. So yeah, just a place to uh, put forth ideas or chat with other people or give yeah. us feedback it's or whatever. It's not just a page that you can like now. It's actually <laughs> something you can interact with and yeah. post stuff to and, yeah. Yeah, and just have fun with. And as well, uh, we're really excited. We've been releasing youtube versions of our previous episodes yes we're up to part one of homunculus i'm gonna get the rest of them up there by the end of this next week yeah so way more detail we yes. got maps and images and things to cor- that correlate to what we're talking about so mm-hmm. that you have way more detail so you know a lot of people reached out to us said that they consume their their entertainment over over youtube and so yeah we're, we're doing video content for you guys yeah so check that out and thank you so much again to everybody who's left a review. We've got yeah. we've got some new ones in the states, and you know what? We were gonna do shout outs, and I I actually don't have it queued up right here, so we will definitely do well, some shout outs yeah. for the next one. We're really excited too because we've had um, some cities that have kind of because we can see the analytics and we yeah. know where you guys are listening from, which yeah. is really cool. <laughs> we have some fans in Roseler, Belgium, which is so random. Shout to out me. to Belgium. Yeah, so fun. As well, we've had <laughs> one of our top cities has been Chicago yep. um, thus far, but Chicago was recently bumped from their second. Oh no! Well, actually, no, Chicago. they were in. They were in. Yeah, no, they were in second because Kelowna was first originally. Like our hometown homies, yeah, woo! Yeah. A lot of support from you guys. Definitely. But again, yeah, we got um, Chicago, and they were bumped by Oak Oakhampton in the UK. Crazy. So come on, Chicago, <laughs> tell your peeps to listen in and you guys can get back up to that second spot there. <laughs> and of course, Calgary has been huge for us too. So yeah. thank you, Calgary. Yeah. Thanks to everybody who's listened. It's been such amazing just feedback and support. It's really cool. Yeah. Like there's it's people all sweet. over the world, like yeah. in very, Russia very cool. and Czech and Australia. Yeah. It's, and, yeah, it's and New Zealand. Mind. It's mind blowing, really. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's, it's cool, but I, yeah. yeah, I really like it. So yeah, and if you got anybody out there who loves, who like likes the show, Again, or loves yeah. the show, um, and hasn't left a review yet, please, please leave us a review. That yeah. would be awesome. And um, we always appreciate that. Yeah. And as well, make sure you check out Angelo and Brian's show, Double Density. Double Cana- or yeah, Double Density. They're Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like us. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to episode five and into the portal. Yes. Have an awesome week, and we will be back on next Sunday. Next Sunday. We'll yeah. see you next time.